What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Fast Track, formerly known as Pave the Way Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Helbeck, and on this show, you are gonna learn exactly how to be successful as a real estate investor. It doesn't matter if you're brand new or if you've done dozens and dozens of deals. This is a podcast you're gonna be able to listen to that's gonna give you actionable, specific advice on how to be successful within real estate investing. I'm gonna interview top-notch real estate investors each and every week, and there's also gonna be some content that is just gonna be me telling you exactly about my journey and how I've went from a broke kid starting out to a million dollar real estate investor. So if you wanna learn how to be successful investing in real estate, this is the show to listen to, and I'm looking forward to being able to serve you at a high level. So how do you buy and sell property or rent property out in a high interest rate environment? Like, so is it October of 2023 right now, just to set the stage for everyone? I think interest rates are at their, not all time high, obviously, but they're at the highest they've been since like 2000 or something like that, which is, I think 2000, maybe 2003, but the interest rates are obviously not where they were in 2021. And a lot of people especially in New York, are a little concerned about it because it's a valid concern. But if you really understand the fundamentals of a real estate market, you shouldn't be too worried about it. But you have to do the things that we're going to talk about or else you're going to get stuck with properties that you can't move. So Michael, I cut you off because I wanted to get this golden information recorded so we can have our 10 million listeners really salivate on this fine Sunday. So you were in the mortgage business for 17 years until 2013. I know a lot about you because I've studied you because you're an expert. And you've seen interest rates high. You've seen them low. You've bought properties in good and bad markets. So what are you seeing right now? With okay. so I, ju- I just looked up this stat and I thought I was right and I'm right. Between 1971, when I was born, till yeah. now, the average 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 7 and three quarter percent That's so- where it basically is. Right. So let's think about it. So what, what people say, and I hear this from buyers, and I hear this from sellers, and like, well, I'm just going to wait for rates to go down. I'm like, well, what rate do you think they're going to go to? And they go, well, we can get back to 3%. I, and I tell them all, we may never see 3% again in any of our lifetimes. Our grandchildren may, may never see 3%. What I've seen historically through the years is between 5 and 8% is pretty much a normal range. Um, I don't think they're going to go up much more, but... But while it definitely affects the affordability, right? So if someone is buying a $500,000 house and it was 3% and they were like, I can buy this much house, it's going to be twelve dollars to $1,500 of a higher payment now because of the rate. So what I'm seeing is that people are just buying less house, right? The reasons people buy houses are, are never stopping, right? So people are moving into New York. They want to buy a house. People are upgrading because they need, they need more space. They're still going to buy a house. Most people are still going to buy a house. People want to move from a crappier neighborhood to a better neighborhood. They're still going to do that. But this person who was buying, who was looking at a house for $900,000, today is going to look for a house for $700,000. And the same thing for seven hundred dollars to five hundred. dollars So that actually helps most of what I do. I think a lot of what you do too, Greg, is we're on the lower end of the spectrum, right? We're not on the luxury market. We, we usually avoid the luxury market. And there are people that only do the luxury market. The people that only do the luxury market have gotten hurt, right? We know Jason Lewis in uh, in Utah. So luxury in Utah is like $600,000. But that that part of the market got slammed last summer. Slammed. Where 30% drop. Jason told me he lost money on, I think, six or seven flips he was doing. Just to get rid of them. He had to lose them because they, the market just came apart. But what I'm seeing now is if you price things right, both wholesaling to cash buyers who are going to rehab, 
And on the retail side, if you stay at a good price, it'll still sell. And what I have to do with myself, and this is, you know, I teach people this, and I don't, we, sometimes we teach things better than we do them. And I just had two scenarios where I did the ultimate screw up, which is I priced them higher than I should have because of my costs or the time, and I screwed that up. So one of them actually worked out. It's like a miracle. Um, it's a property that I, that I, it took me two years to evict a tenant, and I uh, bought it for 450 but I really should have priced it at five ninety nine, and I priced it at six forty nine because I have so much interest in taxes. Where I can say I think I found a buyer at six thirty. But another one that I had where I'm definitely going to lose money on because I bought it for too much money, because I bought it I bought it basically for a vacant price of like six hundred thousand dollars. I pay six, yeah, stupid. I should have paid like five fifty or five and a quarter for it, and it took a year for the tenant to go out. Now the tenant did pay rent, so that's good. I can offset some of my losses and that my money that I'm going to have to bring to the closing with the. Uh, rental income I got, but you know I wanted to sell for six ninety nine. That's what my dream. But I'm an idiot. And then of course we had a problem, so I had to just fix it up. I'm going to put it at a six forty nine. I assume I'm going to sell it relatively quick. So we have to do that, but we have to be aware that that I've heard stupid sayings my whole life in the real estate market. I've heard in an area where you know when when times were bad, there's nobody buying anything. That's bullshit. Or there's nothing for sale. That's always bullshit. Everything is a function of price, right? Everything. People will tell me. In a super hot area, there's nothing for sale. Bullshit. You can find something. If you want to pay more, You'll, you'll somebody will sell it to you, right? There are things being listed for sale. You may look at it as how can I pay that much money, but it's it's available for sale. And the same way the other way. So I think we have to think in terms of we need to stay on, let's say, the lower end, maybe le less than median home price in an area because there will always be a market for that. And right now, there is an incredible lack of supply, even more so, much more so, when you're wholesaling to cash buying rehabbers, they can't find anything, right? And they're gonna, I hear them say stupid things like, oh, it's such a tough time now, I can't find anything. If you have something, you're gonna do great. So I just had something that I got for, I knew it was a great deal. I got, got it for 250. That's it's a great ARV, deal. ARV is like 550. Oh my God. Small house, but needs work. And I put it out for 299, knowing that it was a steal. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell it for over 350. So That's incredible. Where did you? How did you find what? that deal? What marketing channel did that come from? It was, a, it was direct mail. Dude, direct mail is always the best. That's. that's I thought it was dead. I thought it was dead as a doornail because the, let's just say the sellers are a little loony, and they started Never screaming seen that at me when they started screaming at me when I told them that they need an attorney. I'm telling them they need an attorney. They're telling me that's not how it works. So I figured it was done, and then they came back to me. By the way, here's a little nugget also, and you may want to take this. The guy went with me. Instead of somebody I know, another a good a good dude. Well, in I know that area. You know them because I was a plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, and I had a high, like almost five star rating on Google. So if you're not looking at those things, you should look at them because every once in a while they make a difference, and they're not expensive. I, people don't know this, but the Better Business Bureau is just a straight up scam. You just pay them five six hundred bucks a year, and they give you an A plus rating. That's it. Well, that's a hundred thousand dollar lesson, Michael. You're going to make a right. hundred grand on that deal that you would not have otherwise made. And he showed me. Well, I'll take a little bit more credit for it. There's a little creativity. Like he 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 had a higher offer, and there were certain things he wanted, like a lot of post closing possession. I gave him four months post closing wow. possession, and I ran title before he even agreed to my price. I ran the title. Because I don't, I, I run enough title that I don't have to pay cancellation sure. fees. But even if I had to, so he, sh I showed him the title. So he said, "Wow, you're clearly, you're clearly committed to this." 
And but but he took he took I think it was ten or fifteen thousand dollars less from me because of that. But he he kept saying, I know you're I know you're good because you're better business better business bureau. So if anybody doesn't want to spend the extra six hundred bucks on the uh, to get a plus rate of the better business bureau, just do it. It's easy. I mean, obviously, if you get complaints against you, I only got one complaint against me. Did I ever tell you that complaint? Oh, I got a complaint from someone that got a postcard for me, and she complained to them that she's on a do not mail list. Never so heard that before. It doesn't exist. There's, there's no such thing as a do not mail list. I said, I will never mail her again. I go, but that's not a legitimate complaint. So anybody can get A plus rated by the Better Business Bureau as long as you don't have uh, complaints against you. So it's worth it because there, it matters to some people. Yeah, so, no, 100%. 100%. I mean, that's, but here's the great lesson I'm getting from all this is like, you're about to make, you know, $100,000 from this deal if it closes. And right now, everybody's complaining about the market being hard, which is not as easy as it was. But I will argue that it's almost better because I'm seeing there's less competition because people are pulling out of their marketing. So we're not having to deal with as much bullshit. However, exactly. I mean, we're still wheeling and dealing. We're still picking up the volume that we need to pick up. And, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good. We had a bad Q3, but that happens. But you have to understand the biggest little nugget you said that you kind of glanced over quickly was that the main driver of any real estate market is supply. And there's still no supply pretty much nationwide anywhere. Because the reason in 2010 and 11 and 12, it got really bad is because there was an oversupply because everybody lost their house and the demand was pretty weak because of the economy and people's ability to get loans. So it created a really, you know, deflating market because there was an abundance of houses. You could have went to Las Vegas and drove in a subdivision and every house would be for sale and there weren't enough buyers to fulfill that demand. But in this economy, like, and I remember Jeremiah and I interviewed Barry Habib. He's like, the number one reason the market will not like get smoked is because there's still very limited supply, mainly because of the interest rates. Because I see a lot of people, especially here in Reno, I mean, people, I was at someone's house last night at some friend's house. And they have like a 2.75% interest rate. And I told them, I'm like, never sell this house because this interest rate, you're never going to see it again. So a lot of sellers might want to sell, but they don't really. So need I don't know if I agree with that because I don't think people sell their house. I don't think the decision to sell your house has anything to do with your interest rate. So people sell their house for the same reasons, right? They need to move. They want to downsize. They want to, they want to upgrade. They, they, whatever the reason is, right? And there are there are definitely some people that are going to say my rate is so low it would be crazy because I'm going to sell this house that I'm paying three percent on downgrade go yeah but I think for most people they're just going to look for less of a house and they're going to do it so I, I think there's some of that but I don't know if that's the reason why supplies I think they really haven't built enough houses and they haven't there just isn't there just aren't enough houses now and again we're looking at this from a macro basis like on the whole country and the whole world but the truth is it's very local right everything certain, is local. In certain areas, it's going to be better than others, and in certain areas, it's going to be worse than others. And like I, that's one of the reasons why I, I like going to investor field where you won't be tomorrow, because I, I get a feel for what's going on all over the place. And sometimes people are saying the exact opposite of what's going on with me. People were talking about during the beginning of the pandemic that they were having like amazing times, and I was in New York, man. People were were, were hunkered down in their homes, uh, burying their head in the ground. I had 17 properties that I had to clear out that nobody would, we couldn't even get an attorney to take a phone call. You couldn't even so get somebody to show up there if they got paid. Right. So everything is different. And I like, that's why I like seeing a, a big view of it. But if you're watching us from another area, you may be seeing something different than we are, but I still believe on a macro basis, there is a lot, a, certainly a lack of supply. And what I'm seeing in New York and in El Paso is, which are two opposite markets from a geographic opposites, complete yeah. opposites. But I'm seeing similar things, and that is, if you price something right, it's gone fast. 
There's there's always going to be bargain hunters, and we're we're in it. We don't even realize how different the world is today from even 2008, right? The the ability of the internet to show people from all over the world properties anywhere in the United States that they can buy if they believe it's a good deal has absolutely exponentially gone up. Because right now, I mean, there was a guy I know in Phoenix who said he had 66,000 buyers on his cash buyer list. That means 6,000. And and a lot of them were from out of the country. So people are just looking for deals, right? People believe that real estate is a good asset and people will buy it if it, if they believe they're getting a good deal. And the, the market is extremely efficient when it comes to one to four family because of the multiple listing service, which, which not only, not only broadcasts onto 10,000 other websites like Zillow and Trulia, but it gets picked up on by all kinds of people. And if you have a good buyers list, like I know you have and I have, we know the people that are looking for deals and they're they're clamoring for deals. They're guys who who are crying that they have crews that they're going to lose because they can't keep them busy. And some of these guys will pay way more than they should for a deal from a wholesaler if it can keep their if it can keep their crew busy. So there really is a much more efficient market due to the internet and 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 there hasn't never been a real estate market that has this much online presence. And I think that puts us in a situation where if you have the goods and you have a property that's at a discount, whether you're wholesaling it to a cash buyer or whether you're retailing it to an end user buyer, it's an amazing time to sell property right now. 100%. I I agree with you because I, I get a text or an email from buyers every week saying, you got anything coming up? I need something. I have no deals. And I'm like, yeah, we should have some stuff coming up soon. So here's another big takeaway for listeners, because I'm going to put this on both podcasts, so this doesn't matter where you are. If you are somebody who can go direct to the seller and source your own inventory, you'll have a business no matter what the economy is doing. Because the problem I see with a lot of buyers who don't market themselves, which is great for you and me, is that they're too dependent upon other people to bring them their properties. But if you're always marketing and you're getting leads and you're making offers and you're direct to the seller you're always going to have these opportunities coming in and you're not going to have to be in a situation where you don't know where your next deal is coming from. Like I know every day I can wake up and I know we're going to get three to six leads a day that are going to come in. We're going to make offers on and we're going to get new inventory. So I see a lot of buyers right now back in the day when 2021, two years ago, where it was such a hot market. There were so many people wholesaling. They could pick up these properties with shitty margins and sell them for more because of the way the rates were. They're trying to do that same thing now, and it's gotten a lot slower for the inventory that they're able to get from wholesalers or from real estate agents or even just, yeah from the MLS. So I've found that with our business, for example, we had a bad Q3, but we didn't take our foot off the gas. We just kept pushing. Now we have all this momentum that I knew was going to come in, and we have all these properties coming in, and we have all these great deals happening because we didn't take our foot off the gas. I think in COVID, I, I made this mistake slightly. I'm, I don't know if you did this, but- I kind of paused things for a little bit because I really didn't know what the hell was happening because there was I the world. I thought the yeah, world was going to. Yeah, nobody knew what was happening. So a lot of people decided I, that. Well, most people paused. I know some people who actually went the opposite and, and put their foot on the yeah. gas and they ended it, up making on the West Coast, you know, on the West Coast the West. and outside of Northeast. That, that, that really people flew, it was a crazy situation where people weren't feeling. This is what I was told. People weren't feeling like any kind of insecurity about their health but they were feeling insecure about the prices. Like they thought that prices were going to come down yes. as this pandemic happened. So sellers really sold in New York. People were terrified about their health. So you call up a seller and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I, I don't know if I'm going to be alive in a week. 
So yeah. you couldn't get that. It was in different, different parts of the country. But another thing you said about going direct to, to sellers is that we can buy property significantly less than people who don't go direct to sellers. Oh, That's 100%. the main reason. That's the main reason I started. I mean, that was Brad Chandler who told me back in 2013. He's like, you got to start wholesaling and you're never going to be able to buy. I was buying everything at auction, live auction and an online auction. He's like, you're never going to be able to buy things cheap enough to wholesale. He goes, you got to start marketing. That was the greatest call I ever had. That was probably that 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 piece of advice, and I we know Brad pretty well. He's a great guy. That was probably worth eight figures to you, my friend, at least. Because, yeah, I remember. It's funny, kind of going back. I remember when I didn't really know you back then, but I remember you. Your stories. You were just buying shit at auction, which is is great when it's great, but you can't control half of that shit. And even even these people I know who do referrals, like it's like. Listen, if I had my druthers, I would never want to talk to a seller again. I, I personally fucking hate talking to sellers. I hate Me spending money on marketing. I can't stand it because it's a fucking pain in the ass. But the reason I do it and you do it to the tens of thousands of dollars a month is because we know the result is predictable. I fucking hate talking to sellers and I train people on how to talk to sellers. I can't stand the personalities and the flakiness, but I know that it's worth it, right? So the referral exactly. marketing with wholesalers, listen, if, if that worked like it – direct to seller worked, I would, I wouldn't spend a dime on marketing, but 100%. set yourself up to have these big swings where you don't know where your next deal is coming from. Cause you have no input you can put into the system. You can only call so many people, you know, but right. I know what you, what you, you said know. about auctions, hundred percent true. Yeah. I can't, you cannot control what somebody else is going to bid, right? You don't know. You can't control it. You cannot right. control it. It's, I mean, listen, I'll tell you the best year, the best deal we did so far this year was actually from a wholesaler and it was like 135 grand walk away net. And if you I wholesaled it also, or you, no, you, no, you I bought it. I, I, he, yeah. he, I, I renovated it and I, I didn't even put that much work into it, but it was a Where 135 what? grand walk away spread. And I'm like, uh, it? it was in California, actually. It was a quick story. So this is funny. I'm on Instagram last year. This was almost a year ago. And some random guy sent me a message and he's like, do you buy in Spring Valley? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I actually have done a deal in Spring Valley, which is right near San, basically San Diego. And he's like, I have this house, the seller's in foreclosure, and I actually just paid 70. He he spilled his candy. He shouldn't have done this. He's like, I just paid 70 grand to catch him out of foreclosure. He's like, do you want to buy this property? And I'm like, send me the numbers. And I looked at him. Like, that, oh, sounds, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So I, I drove right out to the house with a real realtor who I know who like could help me with the value. And he's like, if you don't buy this house, I'm going to buy it. So I made a deal with a wholesaler like that same day. And I closed on it right in the beginning of the year. And I put like, 16 grand into it. Nothing crazy. It was, it was dirty inside, but it wasn't anything crazy. And I said, wait, how much did you give him? How much did you pay him? It's a $60,000 assignment fee. You put it for 130. I think it was like in the sixes. I forget the numbers. The wholesaler made 60 grand. The wholesaler made 60 grand. You said he's paid 70 for it, right? He spent 70 to get him out of foreclosure, but he got back his 70 plus his assignment fee. So he got back all that money. Cause that was like, he made that deal with the seller. So he made 60 grand wholesaling me the house. So he made a ton of money. That's a 60 grand wholesale deal. Any market's great. But I saw the value of this thing. And we went to go put this on the retail market, which is really where you make the money. We had 33 offers. It was nuts. And I'm like, my thought process was, all right, I don't mind paying 60 grand assignment fees if the numbers work, but I can't control that. That's not, that's going to happen once a year. Right. But right. when I'm going direct to seller, I can control, like I can send 10,000 mailers and I know what's going to come from that. So the point I'm trying to make to the listeners is like, yeah, you can get referral deals and they're great, but don't count them as like your main source of revenue because you never know when that's going to actually happen. hundred percent. Have some army of agents bringing you deals and you have some sort of a, I mean, there's people that do that 
but it's two people dependent. I, I and listen and paid traffic. I mean, a lot of people, I know we're on a different topic, but I think it's relevant. It's like paid traffic sucks. Cause it's very, it's, it's a whole nother business, but if you can really get good at paid traffic, it's, you're never going to have big revenue issues. You're going to have up and down months, but you're never going to have these like big, like, Oh my God, we didn't make money for six months. That will never happen. Cause you're always going to have the leads to support right. the back end of the business. Cause when you, Michael, when you went direct to sell, I know this is another you know thing that you went through is like you, you already had a business. You already knew how to do deals. You were not a rookie and you didn't see a penny from it for nine months, I believe. Nine right? months. Spending and money. I was spending, I was spending over $20,000 a month in marketing. I mean, that requires elephantitis of the testicles. But I did have I did have leads and appointments and contracts. You know, I, mean, I, had, I had I saw progress. I'm not saying you won't see any progress for nine months if you're spending twenty thousand on that scary. But yeah, it took a long time. But that it's part of how long New York takes, right? New York, the whole process takes forever. It's just insane. I'm spending right now in Reno ten grand a month. I haven't seen a fucking nickel from it. And I've been doing that for a few months now because it's really competitive here. But like people don't the thing with marketing that I wish I hope everyone who's new listens to this is like you have to have the faith to know that it will work over time because listen, for me and my very heart, it's very hard when you start, but I, I know, but it's, it's like very hard. It's very hard to work out in any market. It's so it's scary. Cause even if you don't have to spend, you don't have to spend 10 grand a month. You could spend two grand a month, but Correct. you have to look at this money you're spending as like you're, you're planting these seeds in the ground and the trees will grow over time. But when people don't do that consistently, they get like uh, cause you coach way more people than I do. They, they think they're like, oh, I can't spend that money because I don't have it. But it's like, if you don't spend the money, even if it's on a credit card, you're never going to see anything. You're never going to well, do a deal. I'll take it one step back. You can't start marketing until you can commit to spending whatever you're going to spend every month for like a year. Like if you, if you, if you're saying, you need to be even longer than a year. If you, if you're, if you're not like, let's say your budget is $2,000 a month, which is fine. If you can't, if you're not, if you're not committed to spending 24 grand, like don't start. Cause what happens with four out of five guys is they start and then they stop and then they say, Oh, that shit doesn't work. That's what happens. And even people that I admire, people who have much bigger businesses than you or me will come to investor fuel and talk about a lead channel that they tried for three months and it didn't work. And I'm like, you didn't, you didn't give enough, you didn't give enough time. You just didn't like, that's the truth. And sometimes they're like, you're probably right. Like, I know sure. I've made the mistake also. I tried radio for three months. That was stupid. I should have tried radio for nine months, but it was expensive. And I didn't think it. Oh, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see. But the truth is, I I shouldn't have gone into radio until I had committed to spending the money That's there for a year. That's been it's it's uh it's the truth. And, I, and the only person I've ever seen who honestly talks about how long the cash conversion cycle can be if you're if you're going to close on something and rehab it is Tiffany High. Tiffany High will admit, even in Ohio, right? She's in like Ohio is like a, easiest market uh, in America, right? Everything says, works in Ohio. When we when we're going to close on something and rehab it, and she still does that, she goes, "It's going to be a year between the time I spend money on marketing and the time I make a profit." Now she has a huge business, so she's making money in the meanwhile. But most guys will say, "Oh, it's going to be you know your cash conversion cycle has to be less than ninety days." If you're closing on something and fixing it, how the hell are you going to pay ninety days? Impossible. If you take the money you spend to get the lead, and then you're that's here's another thing. I'm gonna I'm not calling anyone out here, but I'm just going to be very honest here. I hear I, you and I listen to a lot of material and books and podcasts. I'm watching three to five podcasts a day. It's just what I do for fun. There's somebody who mentions, and I I agree with them in theory that. If you really want to get good at wholesaling, you have to have a tight, tight cash conversion cycle, which is true, right? Like in a perfect world, that's true. 
you, if you could have your cash conversion cycle be 45 days or th even 30 days, ideally, because that's the billing cycle of any vendor. Jesus, even 60 days would be amazing. You'd be fucking, you know, part in the Red Sea. But the, the truth is, even in wholesaling, it doesn't, this doesn't even meet, have to be in New York, is that the problem that I found with scaling, and I made a video on this that's going to come out this week, is the problem that happens, and even in wholesaling, is you get all of this revenue booked in accounts receivable, right? So you have all this pending revenue that you were kind of almost counting before you spend it. And there's so much that can happen with sellers and buyers and title issues. Your accounts receivable and then your actual you know, cash collected, the gap can be so big. And a lot of companies, what happens is they, they, they scale up their staff and their marketing and they have all this receivable. But then when they actually go to collect and it's 30% less, they fuck up their cash flow. And it's this business, this is the reality of this business. You can't change it. So other businesses that are not dependent upon deals closing, and this would happen in brokerage too, is it's like monthly reoccurring revenue. You have a subscription. Obviously there's churn. You have agency revenue. You have clients. So it's you're not going to have these big, big revenue jumps, but you're also not going to have these like huge swings. Like you might have a 10, 20% churn rate, but you're still bringing in consistency. So a lot of, and you and I are an investor field. We see this with people. They have these big numbers and like I know people who had big wholesaling businesses a year ago that don't even fucking wholesale anymore. Really? Get that. I'll tell you about that offline. What, what are they doing? What are they doing now? Well, not they're because out? they failed, not because they're well, they like, closed the business now or they just focused on something. They have else? another business that makes more money. So it's like, why the fuck are they gonna wholesale? Like, not you know, I'm not saying they failed out of wholesaling, but it's just they realize that the revenue is so unpredictable from a, at scale, not if you're doing a couple deals a month. It can really, and it's true. It, Absolutely. It's not, yeah, because we've been there. Like I've had months where we've done 180, sure. 200,000. And then the next month you make 30 and you're like, what the fuck? And you don't and really- you make zero. The next month you make zero. I, I'd say the I've two, had to write checks, dude. I've had to fund the business out of my own pocket this year for the first the time. The two biggest complaints I see at Investor Field, I've been going there for four years and I go to every meeting. I'm like- I know you do. I know. Exactly. You do. I only missed two and they were both for my daughter's wedding. Four kids and I have zero, but what am I talking I'm about? I'm right now. The two biggest complaints I see is uh, how do I get things more consistent? You know, and these, I'm talking about people that have like businesses where they're yeah, netting many, many millions of dollars. They go, oh, I had an eight hundred thousand dollar month, and then I have a two of twenty thousand dollar month. And of course, half the people in the in the room are saying, I wish I had a freaking eight hundred thousand dollar month. But they want things consistent, and I don't know if it's possible. It's probably impossible. And the second thing people complain about is they can't keep a, an acquisition manager because they're constantly turning them over or staff staffing. In I general. can talk about that. I can get into that right now. I'll give people some free education on the acquisitions manager. Let's do another podcast on that. All right. So summarize this podcast. So interest rates, you don't want to be scared about them. They're really not that unreasonable compar comparatively speaking to history. There's still a very limited supply all around the nation, even in New York, New Jersey, wherever, California, Nevada. So you have to understand if you can source deals directly from sellers like we talked about, and you can spend the money on marketing, you're going to have buyers, whether you're wholesaling or flipping houses, or if you're going to have tenants, I mean, I have tenants, you know, I, I get tenants, no problem ever, especially now, because people aren't buying as much. So you got to understand interest rates are not going to be the reason why you fail in this business. It's going to be on you and your ability to not market and get deals. So hopefully people got value from this. If you did, please leave us a review on both of the podcasts, and uh, we will see everybody on the next episode.
Thank you for listening to an episode of the Real Estate Investing Fast Track. I hope you got a lot of value from this specific episode. And there are a few takeaways that you're able to gather from this to implement in your business so you can be a more successful real estate investor. So if you did get value from the show, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. That's how we keep growing the show and getting great guests is because people see the reviews. They see that we have a high quality show and they want to contribute as a guest. So that would be great. Also, if you got value, if you could share the show on social media, that would be great because that is how people see this besides the reviews. So once again, if you did get value, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes and share the show on social media, it would really mean a lot to me and I'll see you on the next episode.